Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Good morning, everyone. It is awesome to be here this morning. Amen? It is. And I'm happy to see Bob. Hi, Bob. I already said hi to you, but I'm extremely excited, you know. And this got me thinking, and, and I appreciate Jim's prayer a lot, because um, if you guys are going to pray one thing for me, I hope you pray more than one thing for me, but I would hope that it would be that one thing, that I am saying things up here that come from God and not from me, and I really appreciate that prayer a lot. And, um, you know, I God is involved in the sermons because we pray for Him to be, and I truly believe that He is. And today's no exception to that. As I look at... Uh, Bob, and I am extremely happy. Um, I don't think I'd ever be happy to see your face. It seems impossible. I'm just, and yet here I am. But the thing of it is, is it strikes me um, how much you guys have made me and my family part of your family, because we are. We're family together. And that's remarkable given what's been going on over the last couple of years. If you look at it, on the surface, it seems kind of impossible that that would have happened because literally things that two and a half or even two years ago we wouldn't have dreamed could have been possible have happened in our world. And yet, look at us right now. Here together on a Sunday morning, glad to be here, and y'all are my family. I mean, that's the truth. Uh, and I was just saying this morning uh, to Sean and Patty that I'm not really good at, at saying things that I don't believe. And, um, you know, it really, is, it really is true and remarkable. And that wasn't part of my sermon, as you can probably tell. But, um, you know, I have to say how I'm feeling. And I looked on, on uh, Jennifer was showing me her paper from this morning on it was Romans 8.31. And it is true, all this stuff that's been happening, if God is for us, who can be against us? Amen? And it's just, you know, it's really humbling sometimes um, when you really understand. And that's uh, the, the scripture I had Jim read this morning from John. You know, he was asking, do you believe what I'm saying to you? Do you believe it or not? And last week, we looked at um, all the different things that we can try to do with our lives. And I'm going to kind of hit the same thing today, but from a little different angle. And that's because of what's happened this week. You know, Wednesday night, we, those of us that were here, that was, that was a bit of a shock. And... Um, you know, and yet uh, the way that we have reacted to those things and the way I see my brothers and sisters 
um, you know, husband, daughter, um, reacting to those kinds of things says a lot about the power of God and the power of the Holy Spirit. And I think, you know, on Saturday, obviously, uh, we're going to be doing something, but I, I think, I think it, you know, this is just where God's leading me today. We, we live our lives, and we do all these things, and we send our kids to college, and early in our lives, we go to college, and we have all these things that we do, you know? And on um, last Sunday, I asked you, why do you do what you do? And this Sunday, I want to ask you, what's the point? And it's a similar question, but a little bit different. What is the point of any of this? When growing up as a Gen Xer, all of us Gen Xers, I heard this in a movie a long time ago, and it was really true. When I was a kid, all of us were going to be astronauts and rock stars. That's kind of what we were taught as children, us Gen Xers. And I see all the Gen Xers smiling and laughing because you know the truth of that. We were all going to grow up to be rock stars and astronauts, maybe even both. Um, and of course, of course your voice cracks. Of course it doesn't work out that way. Um, nor should it. But And why we thought any of that should work out that way. If you were going to, and again, this may sound like a rehash of last week in some ways, but it's a reiteration and an angle. Here's a Gen Xer that made pretty good for himself. That's, by the way, I think the best picture, picture I've ever seen of him. He looks in some ways less robotic and yet more robotic at the same time. And I think a lot of you may not even know who he is, um, but it's Elon Musk. And he is the owner of Tesla. And speaking of astronauts, his SpaceX program is by far the most successful space program in the world, even though he's not a country. Um, and he just became, I don't know, he, he just increased his wealth quite a bit because um, some rental company bought a bunch of his cars. And so now he has so much money that if you saved... 50 grand a day, okay? Just pocket away. Just reach into your change pocket and just put in the jar 50 grand, okay? Every day, every single day, including weekends, all right? If you do that for 10,000 years, put 50 grand away in, in savings for t every day for 10,000 years, you still will not have as much money as he has right now. And the question becomes, when you've made that kind of money, now what? What's the point? What's the point of, okay, you now have $200 billion. Okay, now what? What does that do for you? I mean, certainly, money solves problems in our lives, right? It allows us to have food, some of us too much. Not me, but, you know, some of us, to have food, clothing, and shelter. And you know what? We get to have other things, too. And if you have enough money, then you can be fabulous, even. You might even be able to be fabulous, whatever that is. Um, and this question, you know, these, when, when people get money, we look at getting money as its own reward. Is it, though? You know, this is, Elon Musk should look to the generation 
before us to the boomers, and he'll see this guy, who you, whom I think all of you know, Bill Gates. And he was the richest guy for a long time. And now he's not. And so the question, oh, but he's still extremely, extremely wealthy. But the point is, now what? And after he got to the point where he couldn't or wouldn't work for Microsoft anymore, you know, what do you do at that point in your life? And even people who aren't Bill Gates rich still have to go, okay, I'm working toward retirement. And then when I retire, now what? Kinds of things. Which, again, brings up the point of what I bring up last week. Why are we doing any of the things that we do? And the thing of it is, it, you can accumulate just incredible vast amounts of money, and you, know, you can have uh, the perfect rich family and look at us. I'm sure no one has a better photographer than Bill Gates' family. But as many of you know, he recently got a divorce from his wife. He's not a happy guy. He's not living a better life than I am. I guarantee you he's not living a better life than I am. He's living a worse life than I am. That's the truth. And the difference is Jesus Christ. That's the difference. I guarantee you I have joy that he just does not have access to. I guarantee you, even though he is way wealthier than I am. Yeah, absolutely. He can get people to, you know, probably literally jump through hoops for him. He has that kind of money. But he doesn't have the joy I have. And that's, because, and that's not because my life isn't full of problems. It is. So is yours. That's the, the human condition since the fall from grace in the garden. And failure to understand the world as it truly is, you can be like Bill and get really distracted by trying to get more things so that we can get more things so that we can have more things. And again, what's the point? What's the point of doing all that? He obviously, as all rich people have to do, once you discover that those things don't do anything for you, then you go, well, now what do I do? And you end up going to some weird places. Some weird islands that aren't okay. You know? That's what going after that stuff and then realizing, so what is about? I'm not going to leave that picture up there. I'm going to go back to this one. You know what? Let me go back to this one. All right, that's better. I thought about that when I was making the slides. I probably shouldn't leave that up on the screen. But Wednesday, we all got, a, I would say, a nasty shock. And um, I don't know. I mean, it obviously was way nastier for some people than it by far, by almost an infinite amount than it was for me. And yet, and that is if the world is just colliding atoms and we, won't, we only think we have free will, which is absolutely not true. The truth is Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And the thing I want to ask all of you this morning is all this stuff is in your head, but when someone you love moves on to their reward... That's where the rubber meets the road. I lost my mom a couple of years ago, and I gotta be honest, I don't react well to people leaving us. 
I don't like it. And this is just your preacher being honest. I'm not some alien, although you would think the giant cranium, the strange behavior. I'm not an alien. Um, it's hard when people move on. And you know, the thing of it is, the people who have moved on, they're not just okay, they're better than okay. Far better than okay. Because the point of their lives is the correct point. That when they reach this point, their life has the only point a life can have, which is to be a child of God. To be a full, complete person as Jesus was. The only really full, complete person. And then to move on to what God has in store for all of us. And that is one of those things that not just at a time like this, but every day, we have to ignore all the noise around us and see what actually is. And our sister... I don't know, I don't want to make this about one person, but obviously Stacia has a, you know, that's what we're talking about this morning. Seems we're not saying her name at this point. Um, she understood, and she was living her life toward God. And here's something that her children have that Bill Gates' children will never have. Bill Gates has a limited time on planet Earth. He's, he's a boomer. He's not going to be here forever. The thing I have, the thing Stacia's kids have, the thing that Christian children have that these kids will never have is when Bill Gates leaves the world, it will be nothing but a loss. And for us, when one of us leaves the world in the arms of God, it's victory. And that's really the only point. As sad as we may be, as devastated, as much as it feels like we got kicked in the stomach when someone leaves, the truth is it's victory. That's not something Bill Gates has, and that's not something his children have. The question is, you may understand it, and this is honestly, your preacher being honest, and I've talked to people about this, I... I don't want to misrepresent myself at all. There's often a gap between what we understand to be true and what we, what we believe to be true. And I think one of my challenges as a Christian, I was just talking to somebody about this the other night, because my brother's one of those people that um, he just, everything God says, he's like, cool. And he just moves on with his life. I'm not wired that way. <laughs> I'm like, okay, but I have some questions. And I'm just not wired. I just don't take, I believe God and I trust God, but not because I'm a trusting person. I'm not a trusting person. It's because God keeps proving himself to me over and over again. I'm a very unruly, wild child. But the thing is, you may understand what Jesus has to say. The question is, do you believe it? And that's what Jim read this morning. And let's go to John uh, chapter 11. And look at the bigger, I mean, we can't look at the whole thing. Most kids in Bible class know John eleven thirty five, Because like, quote of scripture, Jesus wept, John eleven thirty five, 35. Knee slappingly hilarious for thousands of years. Um, but the bigger context is, is that this is Jesus 
best friends. They're his family. Even though he has a family, his family is the people that love God. And not to say his family didn't. Obviously, his brother became head of the Jerusalem church. But moving on, stop laughing at me, Linda. I'm preaching a sermon. All right, John eleven seventeen. Obviously, his, his very, very, very close friend, Lazarus, had passed away. And it was devastating to his family. It was a kick to the stomach. And they didn't understand all the things that we understand because they just weren't hearing Jesus. So Jesus is going to have a little talk with uh, his sister. He says, now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. He wasn't just dead. He was literally rotting because we are at the end, uh, you know, made of flesh. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off, and many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to console them concerning their brother. You know, it was tradition back then to pay mourners because the more people were upset by you passing, the more important a person you were. You know, almost no one was screaming. No one fell down. So he must not have been that beloved of a character. That's the culture that Lazarus died in. So people had come from Jerusalem to come console them about their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him, but Mary remained seated in the house. And Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had just been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you, which is an amazing uh, statement of faith by her. And almost no one else that Jesus knew at this point would have been able to say that. She understood Jesus in a way at this point that other other people didn't, I think. Um, Verse 23, Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said, yeah, I know. He'll rise again in the resurrection on the last day. I know about that. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, he'll still live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Which is the whole point of Jesus. The whole point of why you're here this morning, I would think. It's the only point. And Jesus asks her, do you believe this? And she said, Yes, Lord, I believe that you're the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. And again, just to clarify, she doesn't mean who will come. She means who is coming and will continue to come into the world. And he asks her that very, very important question. I know what you've been taught because the Jews in the last 400 years or so had begun to have an understanding that there was a judgment day. And so she knew about, you know, I know about all that. But what he asked her is, do you believe these things? Do you believe these things? And she said, yeah, I do. And so a better question than what's the point is, do you believe these things? And it's not just a great philosophical question. This is going to be 
I've known, I don't know how many thousand people over my lifetime who've been Christians. And I wouldn't even want to try to sit down and think about what percentage of those people still live their lives for Jesus Christ. But those of you who've been Christians a while, ask yourself, what's the difference between them and me? And I think this question is the big question. Do you believe this? And of course, the more the, the way it works with God is the more you choose to believe him, the more he reveals himself to you. That's just the truth. The more you love him, the more you allow yourself to be loved. And so, go to 1 Thessalonians uh, chapter 4. Paul is going to lay, because ultimately, why we follow Christ and all this stuff, it's all about life and death. It's all about life and death. It's all about life and death. We chose death, and we chose to be our own God, and Jesus gives us back our life. That's the truth. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, um, he has some words, starting in verse 13. And of course, most of what he, the important things he said were about these things. He said, we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep. In other words, those who have passed on, they're, they're asleep. So that you will not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Because we declare to you by a word from the Lord, not our word, a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not go before those who have fallen asleep. Because the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. And I want to highlight that last sentence. Encourage each other with these words. Because it's the, it's the words of truth. Whatever you're putting in your eyeballs and your ears and whatever other, other information you're getting during the week, is I, most of that is a distraction from this truth. And so understanding and believing that Jesus is who He says He is is the encouragement that allows us to finish our race the way our sister did. And I'll tell you, the reaction of the people that loved her the most, I think, speaks more about the truth of Jesus Christ than anything I could say right now. Because there wasn't weeping as people who have no hope. When my father passed away over 20 years ago now, my faith in God wasn't where it is now. And it was, it was, I, it was an extremely dark time for me. I was very angry and very upset and very hurt. I think even though I was a Christian, I was weeping as those 
who have no hope because the hope wasn't in me. And my thing this morning is when I'm asking what's the point, it's important that you're encouraged by these words. If you're not encouraged by these words, then that's something that needs to be fixed now. Not in the future, now. Encouraged by these words because that's the truth. And it's not that we don't weep. (laughs) It's definitely true that we weep. Absolutely. Because, you know what? I'm still here. My dad left. My mom left. I miss him every day. Every day. (laughs) I miss them. And, of course, I weep, but I don't weep as those who have no hope. And that's really the only point to a life is to be one with Christ so that you can move on to the real life, which is coming, by the way. All this stuff you're doing now, the point is very little. The only point in this stage of existence is where it leaves you when the next stage comes. And that may make you uncomfortable, that may freak you out, or maybe like, you know what, I can't get my mind around it. Get your mind around it. Because the only point to any of this is where, where am I at in the next stage, the final stage, by the way. You know, preachers don't like to preach this stuff, and it's weird. And, you know, we say these things for funerals and stuff, I don't know what, but, you know, this is where God's leading us this morning. This is just the waiting room for the next permanent stage. Do you understand that? And more importantly, do you believe it? Because if you don't, I think you're going to be one of those people who's not here later. And there are a lot of them. And you'll be a Christian like I was who loses someone. You know what? My dad, Stan Gibson, is not just fine. He's beyond fine right now. So any weeping I do is for me because he's great. He's great. He lived his life for Jesus. And that's the thing. When we fall asleep, when we die, it's not... it shouldn't be that big of a change. And that's Paul's point. Because we're with God, we'll be, because we're with Christ, we'll be raised with Christ. Let's go to Galatians chapter 2, but a lot of you know this one if you don't. Verse 20, and there's a song that I've been singing since I was a very, very small child. I've been crucified with Christ. It's not I who live, it's Christ living in me. The life I'm living now in my body, even though I'm living it in the body, I live it, I live it by faith in the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. Yeah, I'm in the flesh. But I'm already dead. I've been crucified along with Christ. So when I fall asleep, that's not a shock. That's not something going wrong. That's already where I am. And I know that's where our sister was. I know that's where my father was. I know that's where my mother was. And that is, I think, the most beautiful thing in the world. 
Because I can stand here and I can feel sorry for me about the people I miss, but I certainly can't feel sorry for them. I can't weep as those who have no hope. I will see them again. Jesus will come. And this life we have, this, this life with so many good things that God has given us to enjoy, but is ultimately just the precursor to the, the, the real life, the eternal life. It, it, it's going away. And Jesus will come back. And those who have fallen asleep before us will go to be with them. And we'll, when Jesus comes back, we'll meet him in the air with them. And we'll go to move on to our final reward. And my question to you is the same question that Jesus posed. Do you believe this? And if you don't, I think you're in deep trouble. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 15. This is if, if you are a theologian. Uh, this is well-trodden territory. There's a lot of study on 1 Corinthians 15 because Paul is saying things that aren't said very often in the Bible. And he even says, by the way, this is a mystery. A mystery means I'm going to reveal something to you that is behind the curtain. I'm going to pull something from behind the curtain and I'm going to show it to you. And that's what he's doing right here. Starting in verse 50. I tell you something, brothers. Listen to me. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You want the kingdom of God, but the, the body you're in can't inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Do you understand? Where you're at now, this is a perishable place. If you haven't learned that by now, how many times are you going to be reminded in your life that this is perishable? It's all perishable. And you have to transition from perishable to imperishable to inherit the kingdom of God. Behold, I tell you a mystery. I'm going to pull something from behind the curtain and show it to you the way it was shown to me, Paul says. We shall not all sleep, but we'll be changed. We're not dying we're transitioning to something better. In a moment, in the twinkling an eye of an eye at the last trumpet, because the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised to be imperishable. And we, too, will be changed because this perishable body has to put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on Immortality. This is something that has to happen when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Then will come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Death, where is your sting? The sting of, of death is sin and the power of sin is in the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. My dad and my mom were not perfect parents. I, it's even possible, though hard to understand or believe, that I'm not a perfect parent. That's not why they're with the Lord. They're with the Lord because Jesus Christ loves them. And all they simply did was accept his gift. That is the good news, by the way. 
You know, when we lose someone, when something bad happens, we all treat it like, or at least I have, you know what, we tend to treat it like, oh, wait a minute. It's like somebody came in and stopped the party. These are the times we have to get through, you know. Oh, these are the, you know, this is all very depressing and, you know, it pulls us away from our joy to life. You know, if that's what you think, then you don't see the world for the way it is. This isn't the weird part. This is the real part. Do you understand what I'm saying? When we lose someone, that's not where we have to get pulled out of the life we should be living into this place where we have to think about weightier matters that I just shouldn't think about on a day. You know what? If you, if you don't understand the truths of these things on a day-by-day basis, it's only because you're using all this stuff around you to distract yourself from what you know every minute of the day to be true. That this body is perishable. That this time is limited. And that's the truth. Jesus fixes that. And the good news is that it doesn't matter how good I am. It matters how good God is. And that's good news. But just that very low bar of, you know what? I need you to die to yourself and just follow me, which isn't complicated or difficult to accomplish. People won't jump over that bar. I wasn't willing to jump over that bar. And I think the only reason I wasn't willing is because when God said, do you believe this? I think the answer was no, I don't. I think I understand it. I think I, in some ways, have been convinced about it. But you know what? I'm not comfortable trusting you, God. I'm not comfortable trusting anything. And you know what? I don't like it. So I'm just not going to believe it. The truth is the truth, though. And the truth will set you free. Our last text this uh, morning, almost noon, is from Revelation chapter 21. And 22. We're going to go to the very end of the Bible, and it's appropriate that this is how the Bible ends. Because the point of the Bible is this, and that's why the Bible ends with this. Revelation chapter 21. We're just going to read verses 1 through 7. John is, by the way, seeing a vision of what is to come and what he's going to tell us is not only is it going to come, but in a sense that Jesus lives outside of our fleshly four-dimensional space. It already has come. And it's getting really deep in here. That's fine. Go home and read this, and you can pray and think about it. But the truth is, the world is not what you've been led to believe. The world is exactly the way God has said it is. And John got a vision of what the real world that is to come and already is, is like. Verse 1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, because the first earth had passed away. It was perishable, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. 
Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, because these things have passed by. They're, they're over with. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making everything new. Also, he said, write this down, because these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it's done. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. This only not, will not only come, it has come because there is no beginning or end. I'm the beginning and the end. I am the resurrection and the life. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. I'll give freely the water of life. The one who conquers will have this heritage. And I will be his God, and he will be my son. The one who conquers will have this heritage. The heritage means, what's a heritage? A heritage means something that you receive for free when you move on to the next thing. Usually, when someone else passes and you receive it from them. Christ passed for us, and we have this heritage of eternal life. But it only is for those who conquer. And because of Jesus, we can be more than conquerors. Because as it said on Jennifer's little post-it note this morning, if God is with us, who can be against us? And that's the point. That's the only point. If there's any other point, I'm not saying... You shouldn't go to work and do your job. I'm not saying you shouldn't take care of your children. I'm not saying you shouldn't bathe and brush your teeth. I'm not saying everything in this world is pointless. Everything in this world has a point. But they only have a point if those arrows point toward the arrow that points toward Jesus and eternity. The question is, do you believe that? When Jesus sits down with you and he says, do you believe that? In Revelation it says, I will be with my children again. We were ripped out of his arms by our rebellion in the garden. And he's, all of this has been to put things back the way they were, where we can be with God and he can be with us. And that is good news, amen? That is good news. <laughs> and every point we have in this life God, of course, is not going to work with us if we're making the point in this life something other than our heritage. Do you understand that? God let me fall down face for scraping my nose, figuratively speaking, although actually literally speaking, now that I think about it, because He wasn't going to enable me to keep making a point about things that aren't a point. He saved me from myself and said, that's not the point. The point is, this is the perishable stage, and we are moving on to the imperishable. Our joy is knowing that this is just the first stage. And our witness to the world around us is that we don't grieve as those who have no hope. And I'm... 
I'm not sure the right word, gratified. And I, I, I mean that in, in a different way. I have gratitude, and I feel lifted up by the fact that my brothers and sisters are the way they are, that you are the way you are. But I know that we can all be more that way. Amen? That we can stop being distracted. And I know that there are people who either haven't been baptized into Christ or just haven't given themselves to Christ, though they have been baptized. And my thing is, why is that? Why are you doing that? There's no good reason to do any of that. There is no point to it. There is no point to anything you're doing if the point isn't to move from perishable to imperishable. If you want to be baptized this morning or you want prayers from the church, whatever way we can help you right now is when we would like for you to come and let us pray over you while we stand, while we sing this song.